Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers. I'll be bringing another message directly out of Psalm 19, in which we begun last week. We looked at Psalm 19, verse 7, and today I want to continue looking at verse 7 because verse 7 has two parts to it. We only looked at the first part, and so this week I'm going to cover the second part, and I might even have time to get into verse 8 of, of Psalm 19. So look at Psalm 19, and that's our text for today, and I want to read this to you in just a few verses. Uh, uh, I keep wanting to say Revelation. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. This is what Psalm 19 is declaring. And of course, a parallel passage to this would be Psalm 119. You can read both of those together. It takes a while to go through them, but you can begin to see some amazing words that are used to describe God's word. Here in this psalm, we saw last week, this psalm is broken up into two parts, verses 1 through 6, one part, and then 7 through 14, second part. First part is God has revealed himself uh, through his creation. It says that even in verse 1, the heavens declare or shout out the glory of God. And then in verses 7 through 14, he has revealed himself in his word. And so what the psalmist is doing is laying out all of these characteristics of the Bible or his word and we can begin to learn some things about the Word of God. And the reason I want to do this is because this is what I'm challenging you to do this year, 2024. Spend more time in God's Word. I don't think you'll be disappointed. I think you'll be very, very pleased with it. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect all year. You're not going to sin. You're not going to get into trouble, or you're you're not going to have hardships or problems, or, or all of the decisions are going to easily flow with answers. And I'm not saying any of that. But I am saying if you'll spend time in God's Word, God's Word will make a difference in your own life. So last week we began looking at verses 7 uh, through 14 by just trying to dissect verse 7. And we saw that it, uh, verse 7 moves from uh, a general revelation about God into a specific revelation by looking at the words, words that come from the mind of God through the writers of Scripture. And that's what we're looking at when we're talking about God's Word or the Bible. Now, we said in these three verses, 7, 8, and 9, there are six statements about Scripture. Six statements that are, uh, I think I, I call them parallel statements, or six lines of thought that describe the, the, the Word of God. In fact, in every one of these six, you could substitute whether it's saying the law or the testimony or the precepts or the uh, the commandment or the fear, any of these can be substituted out, and you can put the Word of God. Uh, the law of the Lord, look, look at the first one in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, and then it gives the benefit, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, and again, you could substitute the, the Word of God, or the Bible even, if you wanted to make it real simple. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord, and again, you can substitute the Word of God, uh, is right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord, again, you can substitute and say the Word of God 
is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord, again, you can substitute, and the benefit is enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, and the benefit is they are righteous altogether. In each of these, it uses the phrase, of the Lord. Now, I know I covered this last week, but again, uh, it's the covenant name of Yahweh God, the Creator, and it's used like this because Scripture comes from God. And what the psalmist is saying is all of the words in your Bible come have human authors, but they got it from God himself, from the mind of God. God has spoken. It is The Scriptures, we're told in, in uh, 1 Timothy, are God-breathed. Uh, scripture in Hebrews says that it has been spoken, that God has spoken. And that's why that we, we can use the phrase, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. Because it doesn't matter where in the Bible you go, when you read a verse, you're reading God's thoughts. You're reading God's words. You're reading God's revelation of himself through his word to us. That's what we see here. This is what we're reading about. This is what we're looking at. And this is all related to your Bible that you have in your hand, the Word of God. And it is called the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandments, fear, or judgments. And there are six characteristics. It's pure. Talking about God's Word. It's perfect. It's sure. It's right. It's pure. It's clean. And it's true. And then those, if you put these into perspective for your whole year, you can have these benefits working in your favor this year as you get into God's Word and you depend on God's Word and you have a devotion with the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Here are some of the benefits. It will restore your soul, makes wise the simple, and I'm going to explain that today. I think you're going to be amazed at that meaning. It rejoices the heart, enlightens the eyes, endures forever, and produces comprehensive righteousness. This is an actual stunning summation of the full sufficiency of God's Word that we need. And of course, I'm not talking about just a brand new believer. I'm talking about, I don't care if you've been saved 50 years, you still need God's Word. It doesn't matter how many Bible studies you go to. You still need God's Word. Uh, when I was in seminary, uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, I had as one of my professors, Dr. Howard Hendricks, and I know I've used him dozens of times in, in uh, pictures or revelations or uh, illustrations of the Bible of, of my life in, in, in seminary. And some of you may even hate to hear those. But they were real for me. I had Dr. Hendricks learned how to uh, study the Bible, uh, but he had. I also had him as a as a, uh, a person that that would counsel us. He was uh, the professor that would uh, allow you to come in and you could talk to him. He was he was my personal advisor, and I remember sitting in his office one day with two other guys, just three of us, just kind of cutting up with Dr. Hendricks. Now, when I say that. It still baffles my mind that I was a part of that, that I could actually do that, that I was so blessed. I think I knew it at the time, but I don't think I really understood it until I graduated. What a blessing that was. But one of the guys asked him, what is the greatest hindrance 
uh, to your time in Dallas Seminary as a student? What was your greatest hindrance uh, in, in, to you? And he's, or what is the greatest fear that we can have or that you would advise us of? And he thought for a minute, and he said, I think one of the greatest dangers for seminary students, and he was talking basically about serious Bible students, is that the Bible can become a textbook, and it has lost its meaning as far as a devotional book or an instruction book or divine instructions given to us. And he began to quote some of Psalm uh, 19. That's when I first began to realize how real and how relevant this is to my Christian walk is to just simply understand more about what God's Word says about itself. He said that one of the things you, you need to realize is when you're studying the Bible, you're studying a book that's not a textbook. It is, it is God's revelation of himself to man, and it restores our soul. This is the way he put it. It restores our soul. It makes us wise. It rejoices the heart. It will enlighten, and, 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 and enlighten our eyes. It endures forever and produces a comprehensive righteousness. And, you know, when you think about that, I think when I was in seminary, I think it did become a textbook. I would go home and do my homework on how to study the Bible, and I would get mad because I couldn't do it. It was so difficult until I spent time in it. But I remember this. Every lesson he gave, I actually went to class and gave, turned in my homework, and I did it completely. Now, you might not know how relevant or how important that is, but for me, that was terribly important because I suffered through it. I, it was the most difficult thing I had ever done in seminary or out of seminary was in that class, uh, which I thought well, I was taking to get an easy A, and it turned out to be a very hard A to get. But it changed my life and the way I looked at God's Word. And I think this is what the psalmist is saying. Man, God's Word is special. God's Word has benefits. Why would you not read God's Word? Well, think about that. Why would I have even think about having a whole year, and perhaps, and I've talked to people who said they didn't read much of their Bible last year. Well, don't let that happen this year. And think about why would that be true? How could you make a possible decision to not read the Bible? And I, I don't think you do make a decision to not read it. You just get busy in other things, and you look back, and before you know it, three months are going to have gone by, four months, six months, uh, a year, and there you are in another new year. And so my challenge is to get into God's Word now. It doesn't matter what you read. I always have a recommendation. People start in the Gospel of John, but start in Psalm 19. And when you finish Psalm 19, go to Psalm 119 and just look at it. Look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. This is what we covered last week. It actually restores your soul, which we said is your heart. The whole purpose of God's Word is not to uh, create a, a social morality about us. It's not designed for that. The design of Scripture is not to fix things in our human life. The design of Scripture is to target all of its power and all of its energy right at the inner person of your soul. And what does it do? It, well, it restores the soul. In fact, we said last week, 
that there's several words can be used here for this, and several different translations use it. It can revive the soul, or restore the soul, or refresh the soul, or convert the soul. But I think the best one is transform the soul. It changes us. There's no way you're going to spend a devotional time in God's Word and it not change you. So I think that's one of the points he's given to us in verse 7. But I want to move on to the second half of verse 7. Look at what it's Look at what it says. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Well, this is another way of looking at God's Word. First, it was divine instruction in the opening line of verse 7. Now, Scripture can be viewed as a divine witness. It's God giving His own testimony as to who He is and what He wills and what He requires and what He will do. And as such, it is sure. We need to know that. We need to know that the book, the Bible that we have in our home or in our office or at our disposal, we, it, it is a sure word. Able to be trusted. That's what sure actually means. Absolutely true. And that's the word of God. It is sure and reliable in every sense unwavering, unmistakable, able to be trusted, able to be followed. And let me ask you something. If God's Word is able to be trusted, able to be followed, how real is the excuse that I don't understand God's Word so I don't really read it? I've actually had people tell me that. But you know what? When you get into God's Word, the one thing I tell people to do not that I do it perfect. I tell myself this kind of stuff too. Go to the Lord. Ask the writer of the Bible, God himself, to direct your heart into his word that I might understand it, that I might be able to read it, I might be able to, to, to view it in the light that he's given because we've been told that God's word is a light. But you see, Satan is constantly trying to blow out that light so that we don't see the light of the Scripture. But this, is, this part of verse 7 of, of Psalm 19, is, uh, it, is, it is such a, a blessing to us. It is telling us God's Word is sure. In fact, let me give you another parallel verse to this. It's found in 2 Peter 1.19. And Peter's given the testimony of the Mount of Transfiguration and he's talking about Moses and Elijah showed up. And he, he basically says he was there uh, when, when Jesus was transfigured. And what, what an amazing experience that was. He says uh, basically that he had that experience and that it was real. But he, and he says we were with him when he was glorified. But, Peter said, we have a more sure word. And what is that more sure word? It is the scripture itself, which was not by any private origination or interpretation, but holy men, he says, as they were moved by the Spirit of God. That is the sure word in contrast to the unsure, unreliable opinions of man. And what does this sure word do? It makes simple people wise. It makes simple people wise. Now, so you can understand this. I, I want to spend just a moment here 
and help you to understand what he's talking about here. Because I think you're going to be blessed by this. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It's characteristic. It is sure. It's reliable. So what does all of that mean? Well, he says that it makes... In fact, I will read it exactly to you. He said, the testimony of the Lord, meaning the Word of God, is sure, making wise the simple. So he makes wise a group of people that, or a person or a group of people that are, are described as simple. Now, I want to talk about simple because I think that sometimes we misunderstand words or we've heard wrong definitions of words. Simple Take just that one word. Simple is a word in the Hebrew, which is what the uh, Old Testament was written in, basically means ignorant. Simple means ignorant. Simply or generally meaning ignorant. It means one without understanding, one who does not know. It has a concrete idea to it that I think uh, is a very interesting part of this definition. It basically comes from a root that means an open door. In other words, from the root word in which we translate simple, it comes from a word that means open door. Now, it's a little bit more uh, difficult to understand this without giving some of the idea to behind it. And that's, that's what I want to do. It's a, it's a very simple word to understand. Hebrew, for example, the language is a very uh, concrete uh, language. It's not very abstract, which is good. And the idea of being simple-minded in the Hebrew is the idea of an open door. Now think about this. The idea of being simple-minded is the idea of an open door. Think about that. Now this is going to make the simple, being simple-minded, wise. So think about this. Do you ever hear people say, well, I'm open-minded. That's a public statement. And here it goes. I'm going to say it. That's a public statement of ignorance because the word simple means ignorant, one without understanding. And yet it means, it comes from the root word, meaning an open door. People say uh, th that they are have an open mind. They're open-minded. They don't realize what they're saying and in the world, I realize uh, open-minded might mean I'm, I'm tolerant of all ideas. I'm tolerant of all sexes or races. Uh, I'm tolerant of all opinions or things that people say. And that means I'm very fair and I welcome all. They're all welcome into my mind. But this is saying that uh, the door is open to their brain. That's what they're saying. They're saying that my brain has a door and it's open for everything to come in and everything to go out. It's basically giving a description of the person. They don't realize it, but and we should realize it as believers, that when someone is open-minded according to being Scripture, they have the inability to discern, the inability to distinguish, the inability to separate, and you shouldn't be proud of that. To say you're open-minded is to say, I am simple and I allow everything into my mind. I have no discernment about what comes in and what goes out. I have none at all. 
Well, here's what I would say to that. You need to close your mind. You need to be more closed-minded. And I know people would say, what? That doesn't even make sense. But it does make sense in the Hebrew language and in the, in the Scripture. You shouldn't be open-minded. A Hebrew would say to you, we'll close the door. You need to know what to keep in and what to keep out. And we would agree with that, wouldn't we? Wouldn't you say that this year, you can go into this year being more closed-minded about what comes into your brain? Don't let everything out there come into your mind. Be careful. We used to use this phrase in, in uh, television. Not broadcasting television, but I'm talking about in your home. We used to t teach people, to say to people, and I would hear it in the sermons, be careful what you let into your home. It's going to affect you. And, of course, I don't think people took that very serious because now we pay big bucks, big bucks, to bring in stuff that we don't really need coming into our house and we don't really want it coming into our house, but yet we pay for it. You have a door on your house for a reason. Think about that. You keep it closed to keep some things out. You know, like you, my mother used to say, all four of us boys, we'd be running in and out all day. So she'd close the back door when we went out. She'd say, you're either in or out. If you're outside, I'm closing the door and I'm locking it. Don't come back in. There's a water faucet outside. Get your water out there. So you open the door and you close the door. You close the door. Uh, to, to keep air conditioning and whatever else from getting out or heat getting out. You open it only when you want to let something or someone in. The door is the point of opening. It's the point of discrimination. It's the point of discretion. It's a point at which you distinguish what's good or not good for me. And to be careful about your door, you probably have what is called a peephole. So you can look through to make sure you're making the right decision to help you discerning whether I'm going to open the door to that person or not open the door to that person. So in summary, your mind does not need to have a door sprung way wide open all the time. You should be a more discerning. And this is what this Word of God does when it says it makes the simple Here's what it says. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The Word of God is sure. It's certain. It's reliable. It's trustworthy. Making wise the simple. So if you're simple and you've been having this open-minded attitude, the Word of God will give you discernment and discretion and sensitivity to the Spirit of God so that you can close your mind to these things. You shouldn't be letting everything in. Close the door of your mind. The Word of God does, does that for you. It teaches you discernment. I've often said one of the things lacking in the Christian life nowadays that I just don't see, it's discernment. Well, God's Word teaches you discrimination. It teaches you to, to distinguish. It's a critical in producing wisdom. It takes the simple and makes the simple wise. Now think about that. Wouldn't it be good to know that you're going to be a lot more wise in your decisions this year? And I know many of you, any, probably every single person hearing this broadcast is going to have major decisions this year. Now wouldn't it be great to know that I have a resource? 
I have something I can read, something that I can go to that's going to give me discernment and make me wiser in those decisions. Well, what does this possibly mean? Well, it means that it the, the Word of God is not simply just wise, smarter, but it's skilled in all manner of living. That's what the word means when it says making sure the wise, uh, making the wise, making the simple wise. It means skilled in all manner of living. That's what it means, skilled in all manner of living. It makes you skilled at life. Now, let me tell you something. You know, I'm not perfect, just like you're not perfect. We're not going to ever be perfect. But it would help to know that this year I can have something that's going to help me be a little bit more skilled at the circumstances or uh, problems that are going to come across my life this year. And I don't know what they are. But boy, sometimes they come with a fury, don't they? You know what I'm talking about. It's not just theory that we're talking about here. This is truth. It's truth in the mind. It's truth in the mind that shows up in life. We're not talking about spinning off theories here and there. We're, we're talking about things that are, are concrete for us to be able to read. You see, Bible teachers and preachers teach people because there's no sanctification apart from it. There's no salvation apart from it. There's no sanctification apart from it. Not only do you do you need to be transformed in your soul, but you need to be skilled in knowing the truth and living the truth so that you can bring glory to God and enjoy the fullness and the blessings. That's what we need. And that's really what this is saying. And so you go back and you look at this verse, look at verse 7 in its totality. The Word of God, and I'm replacing the phrase for the law of God, the Word of God is perfect, complete, comprehensive, restoring your soul or your heart. How about this? It restores your heart. Or how about this? It revives your heart. The Word of God also is sure. It's reliable. It's trustworthy, making wise the simple. In other words, it will give the simple the ability to close its mind and give more direct path for you to follow this year. I think that's what it's given us here. I think it's showing us that we can have divine instruction that will help our mind in discerning the right path to take through all of the complications, or as I would sometimes say, through the vicissitudes of life as they're going to hit this year. It's already the first part of January, January the 4th. It's like, wow, the first week of January is almost already gone. It's like I can't believe it. And it's going to fly through. Before you know it, it's going to be March, and then and then summer months are going to be here, and then the fall, and then you start looking for the Christmas season. It just comes and goes so quickly. So my, my challenge to you is read God's Word. Just simply have a plan. You don't have to lay out every day's work ahead of you, but just say, Lord, give me direction. Uh, I could give you some suggestions. Like I said, you can take Psalm 19, read just a few verses a day, 
ask the text some questions and write them down. Write down the answers. Like, what is this text teaching me? What does this text say to me in my everyday life? Why do you think God included this verse in Scripture? Why did he give us this verse? What is it meant to do? Well, let's ask that question to verse 7. Why has he given us verse 7 of Psalm 19? Well, look at it. It's encouraging us to let us know that the Word of God is perfect and it restores the heart. Meaning, that's what you're going to be your benefits if you spend time in God's Word. It's also telling us in the second part of verse 7 that the Word of God is reliable and trustworthy. Making wise the simple, it's going to give you direction for life. It's going to give you discernment in all the decisions and every step you're going to need to take this year. That's why that verse is included in Scripture. Let God's Word do its job in your heart. Let God's Word pour through you to someone else. You're never going to have that if you don't begin to read and to study God's Word. Another good place I like to suggest that people read is just start with the Gospel of John. And don't see how much you can read. Someone challenged me when as a new Christian. And they, you know, we, but it got to be almost like a show. So they asked me one day, they said, what did you read? I said, well, man, I did good. I read, I read Matthew, Mark, Luke. I read Romans, 1 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians. You read all that in your quiet time? Uh, actually, it was my brother who asked me. He said, you read all that today? I said, yeah, I did. I mean, I, I, I just kind of got into a reading thing. He said, well, tell me one thing, one truth you read. I said, well, I did. I just told you I read Matthew, Mark, Luke. I read Romans. I read First and Second Corinthians. He said, no, one truth, it was in there. And you know, for the life of me, I remember thinking, I didn't remember anything I read. So it makes me wonder, what was my mind doing? Was I just scanning words? And that's not the point of a quiet time. The point of a quiet time is interaction with God. It's what I used to call in giving a message called Daniel's quiet time. Well, what is that? How do you do that? Do we ever teach people how to have a quiet time? And I say no. We generally don't teach them in the church. We don't even teach them how to study. We assume if you have a brain, you know how to study. And that's not true. I went all the way to seminary working on my master's. The fourth year of my master's. Uh, at Dallas Seminary is a four-year master's program. My fourth year, I took a course that made me realize I don't know how to study, and yet I've been studying for all those years. So it's amazing what you can learn, but it's amazing what the Scripture can do for you. I challenge you, starting tomorrow morning, when you get up, or whenever you have, I'm not even going to say you ought to do it in the morning. If that works for you, that's fine. Some people, are, they say it takes them to noon before their brain actually opens up and can read something. Well, I'm not like that, but you might be like that. But just the point is, read God's Word. If you don't know what to read, just open the Bible to, to the Gospel of John and read the first paragraph. Your Bible's laid off in paragraphs. You, you ought to be able to read and find the paragraphs. Read one paragraph a day. If you got time, you want to read more, read that paragraph again. If you got more time, read it a third time. Boy, that's discipline. And see what God does. But always do this. So, Father, I pray that as I open your word today and read it, you will teach me. You're the author. You wrote this word. Now write it in my heart that I might see the truths that are in it. Well, that's all I've got time for today. You've been listening to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. 
And I hope this has been a challenge to your heart for this new year. I'm going to give one or two messages out of this because I just got to kind of finish this. Uh, I like to do this every year or so. It's been about two years since I've even mentioned this, but it's just such a challenge to me. And so I'm kind of selfish. I'm kind of doing it for my own heart as well. So you've been listening again to William Rogers. Thank you for joining me today. And we'll talk or I'll we'll give another message next time on Psalm 19.